Well, good morning, church. So good to see you here with us today. This rainy day, which just reminds us of God's grace and provision for us. So we're grateful for that. If you are a guest with us here today, we're grateful that you are joining us either in the house or online. Thank you for coming here today. It's a great time for you to be here because we're going through our mission statement as a church, what we're all about. And it's, it's nothing new. It's maybe just a refocus of what God has, has called us to do. And I'd say, too, if you are um, new to our church this year, I asked you, if you would, to stick six weeks to hear what our church is all about and whether this is a place that God wanted you to stay and connect and be a part. And many of you have. And so thank you for staying and connecting and getting a part of a small group. Um, we have one more week of that kind of stick six that I encourage you to do. And uh, next week you'll kind of see we transition a little bit um, on this Life on Mission and Church on Mission series that we've been going through. But still in the same vein. And I would say if you are new here today and that's the first time you've seen our mission statement, I just want to walk you through it today so you know our heartbeat. And honestly, it's God's heartbeat. This is something that we just look at the scriptures and see what God calls us as a church to be and to do. And we just want to live that out. And I would say if you are a church member here, as we look at this statement, I really want you to think about it, internalize it, even memorize it. Because as we look at this, this statement, this is what God is calling us to do as a church. And I would hope that as we reach to our neighborhoods and nations, which is what we're going to talk about today, that if you talk to a friend or family member or coworker and they say, hey, where do you go to church? That you would be able to say, West Cabarrus Church. And they would say, okay, what, what are you guys all about? What are you as a church all about? That you'd be able to say without missing a beat, we're all about the glory of God. That's our, that's our vision, that's our purpose, that we as a church exist to glorify God. And the way that we do that as a church is we make more and better disciples. That we want to share the gospel that gives people hope and peace and forgiveness that they would come to know Jesus. But at the same time that people would grow in their faith, that they would know how to read God's word and live out God's word in their life. We want to make more and better disciples. And our goal and our destination is that we would do it here in our city and in our neighborhoods. But ultimately, we as a church believe that God has called us to the nations because that is his heartbeat. And so church family, please memorize that. Work on that as, as you think about, as you interact with people in your neighborhoods and your families, that you would be able to say with confidence, this is where we're going as a church. And then even prayerfully consider how God would want you to be a part of fulfilling that as a church. God, what part are you calling me to play to glorify you and to make more and better disciples? What part are you calling me in taking the gospel from the neighborhoods to the nations? This is, this is my prayer for us as a church. This is God's desire for us. And so today we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29. And so if you have a copy of God's word, and I hope you do, go ahead and make your way to the book of Jeremiah chapter 29. And this is where we're going to start today. As we look at this um, last piece of this mission statement from neighborhoods to nations, we're going to look at those two things today. How God has called us to our neighborhoods and his heartbeat for our neighbors, his heartbeat for us, but also his heartbeat for the nations. So we'll start in Jeremiah, but we'll expand out to multiple other passages in God's word today. But the reason why I wanted to start with the book of Jeremiah today is because I feel like we especially in our American culture today, can relate to the book of Jeremiah and what's going on. So let me give you a little background, and you'll see it as we read in verse 1 here in a second. But the background for, for Jeremiah in this time is that God's people have been taken away from their city. 
They've been conquered by Babylon, and now they're living in exile in a city that is not their own, that is hostile to their views and their beliefs. And there's just, it's a fragmented culture that they're moving into. It's a fragmented society. Because Babylon had gone and they conquered with their power and their military might. They conquered multiple places. And when they would conquer, they would bring people back to Babylon. And so as God's people move into this city, you've got people that have different worldviews. They have different beliefs on God and how the world was made. They have all this, these different beliefs on morality. And God's people move into the thickness of this fragmented culture, this fragmented society. And God speaks to them in that moment. And he says, this is how I want you to live in this society, in this culture. And so let's look at God's word, starting in verse 1. It says, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem, that's where they were, to the surviving elders of the exiles, and to the priests and the prophets, and to all the people who Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now go down to verse 4. This is what God says to them. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now don't miss verse 4, because there's something really important that's said in there. God has sent his people to the city. It's not an accident. Even though they wouldn't have chose it, they wouldn't have chose this time, they wouldn't have chose this situation, God has placed them there. So what are they supposed to do? How are they supposed to live in this broken and dark city and world? In verse 5, it says this. God tells them, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come to you in prayer now because we know what we just sang is true. We need you. We need you. God, there are many heavy hearts in this room and those that are watching online. God, I ask that you would be the God of all comfort to us. God, that you would strengthen us in your love and in your peace and in your hope. God, and we thank you that though you're the God of all comfort, you're also the God of all conviction. And so convict us today of our sins and our misplaced hopes and fears. And God, may we be confident in you. God, that you would speak to our hearts today. Help us to be doers of your word. And Lord, I ask that you would give us the power to never grow weary in doing good but to do your word. And I would ask right now that you would take a moment just to ask God to speak to you today through his word. Take a moment now and pray.
Father, thank you for your comfort and your call and your goodness to us. Speak to us now, we pray. Amen. All right, in this passage of Jeremiah, we're going to see God's design for you and I and how we live in a fragmented culture. We're going to see that in this text. And I want us to start in this, this vision statement from neighborhoods to nations because God leads us first to be a light here and a bright light here because the, the light that shines the brightest at home will shine the furthest. And so we have to, we have to make disciples in our neighborhoods for the glory of God. We have to start here and now. We can't just say, well, we'll help those around the world. Yes, we need to do that, and we most certainly will get to that. But we have to pray for our neighborhoods because God has placed us there. He's placed you right where you are for a reason. And in this passage, he's telling us, I've placed you there, and this is how you can react. This is how you respond. This is how you live in this kind of culture. Now, for, for Christianity, for, for years, there's been three basic responses to how we interact with a, with a culture, with a dark culture, one that's hostile towards us. We can either receive everything that it has to offer and just become just like, just, just like it and say we don't want to stand out because we don't want people to speak ill of us or not like us. We just want to be accepted, and so we're just going to take everything that the world says and do it. We're just going to receive what the world has to offer. But the problem with that is it, it makes things worse. It makes the darkness even darker when the light's not shining. And so, yes, you can receive it, but that's not God's response to us. Another common response is we can reject it. We can just completely say we reject culture. We want nothing to do with culture. We're just going to pull back from everything and just... We're going to be totally different and allow culture to do whatever they want to do and just say, well, they, that's your fault. But the problem with that response is it doesn't fix anything. It doesn't change anything. You've removed the light from the darkness. And so there's no hope for the darkness to change or to believe. And so, yes, you can receive it, which is wrong. You can reject it, which doesn't fix anything. Or you can be a redeemer in the hands of the Savior. And I believe that's what God has called you and I to do. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, you are an instrument in the Redeemer's hands. That God has called us to live in this world and to impact it, to be a light. You remember Jesus said, I don't want you to be of the world, but I do want you to be in it. He actually praised that for his people. And we'll look at it in a few weeks, but in John 17, he's like, God, I pray that you would keep them from the evil one, that you would protect them as they live in this world. And so God wants us to be a part of it. Why? So that we could be a light that shines, that gives hope, that gives peace, that gives comfort. God has placed you in your neighborhood, and in your family, and in your school, and in your college to be a light. Don't receive everything the world has to offer. Don't reject it and become a hermit and pull away. No, be a holy, set-apart light in a dark world. Now here's the question. How does God desire for us to redeem a broken city, a broken world? How does he call you and I to respond to a nation that's hostile to our values? How do we live in this fragmented, broken society? How do we do this? Because we hear that and we're like, that is super hard to change a culture. It's super hard to change a nation. God, how do we do that? 
And I think he tells us right here, he gives us the ingredients right here in Jeremiah 29. And it's not as difficult as we would think. He looks at his people at this time and he gives them several commands. And I want you to see them. Maybe circle them, underline them in your Bible. But look at verse 5. He said, I've sent you into this dark, uh, extremely broken city. And this is what I want you to do. Verse 5. I want you to build houses. I want you to live in them. I want you to plant gardens and eat their produce. That, that's what God's commanding his people to do. You're like, wait, what? That, that, that's, what ch- that's what changes a culture? Yes, God looks at me and says, I want you to live there. I just want you to be a part. I just want you to be in the city, be a part of the nation, be a light there. And when he tells them to plant gardens, that's work. He wants them to till the ground and to, to earn an income and to, to feed a family. He's like, just live there. Wait a second, God, how does that help anything? How does me living in a broken city, in a broken culture, help anything? Because you're the light. Jesus called us as Christians a, a light, a city on a hill. We're not supposed to be hidden away from it. We're supposed to be there in front of it for all to see. Why? So that they would glorify their God in heaven. He says live in it. But the temptation for us, the temptation for all of us is that we would pull back from the city. That we would retract from it. That we would reject it and just hide from it. Even in this time it was there. If you go back to Jeremiah, there's one chapter back, Jeremiah 28. There's this false prophet that comes on the scene. And he tells God's people, he's like, hey, don't worry, we're not going to be here long, so don't care about the city, don't invest in the city, don't love the city. And he tells them, hey, you know what, why don't you just come out here to this canal and we'll build our own like little village out here. And we'll go in and we'll use the city for our interests and our good. And then when, when we don't want anything to do with the city again, because right, it's broken, it's bad, then we'll come back out to our own little village outside the city. And God's response to this false prophet's claim of, hey, reject it, run away from it, hide it. Jeremiah's like, no, 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 no. Don't don't pull back. Be a light in it. Don't receive everything it's preaching, but instead live there and show them the difference. Show them the goodness of this God that loves them. Show them that. Church, we have to show them this. This is God's way. God has called you and I just to be here. Because as we live out God's word, it makes people scratch their heads and say, wait a second, why do you live that way? Why do you seem to love me, not for what I can give you, but just because you care? It's because they know there's a God that loves them and cares for them. And what's so interesting about this is we love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11, that God has a plan for us, a plan to prosper us, and, and, and God does have plans for us, and he does love us, and he does care for us. But what's interesting about this is he tells them you're going to be in the city for 70 years. That their prosperity was not removing them from the city, but their prosperity and their goodness was going to come as God used them in the city to be a light to the nations. All these different nations that God had brought to this city with exile, God's people were going to get, be there to speak the truth to them about the God who loves them and the God who cares for them. And so, yes, living and working in a way that glorifies God matters to God. It does. 
It doesn't seem hard or difficult, but honestly, none of these do. Because the next thing he says is, I want you to seek the welfare of the city. In verse 7, he's like, I want you to multiply there. I want you to have families there. And I want you to seek the welfare of the city. Now, this is so interesting. Because when it says seek the welfare, or your Bible might say seek the peace or the prosperity of the city, that word is is an extremely weighty word. It's the word shalom. And in the Hebrew language, that was a word that they valued a lot. They talked about it in their city, that they wanted shalom in Jerusalem, a city of peace. And God says, I want you to bring that, and I want you to put it in the city. And this word means a, a total flourishing in every dimension possible. Socially and economically and physically and spiritually. God looks at them and says, I want you to bring shalom into this dark city. I want you to help the city to thrive and to flourish in every single way possible. Do you know how foreign this is? Do you know how foreign this is to, to, to us even when we start to think selfishly? Because we look at our city or we look at our nation and we think, what are you going to do for me? We might not say that out loud, but we're thinking, how can I get something from you? But God says, no, 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 I want you to go and live in such a way that you're like, no, no, what can I do for you? How can I serve you? How can I give for you? Oh, oh, you want to do that stuff so that you get something out of it? No, 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 no. It's not about me. It's about how I can love and serve and care for our city. And how I can love and serve and care for my neighbors. This is totally different. Totally different. Because the temptation for all of us is that we would use the blessings that God has given us for our own selfish desires. We would look at things that aren't necessarily bad, that are blessings from God. We would look at our, our wealth, that we would look at our, our sex, that we would look at power. And when, a, and when a city is broken, when a nation is broken, you use all of those things for yourself. You're looking like, how can I use sex to benefit me and my pleasures? We look at power and we say, how can I gain more power for me? How can I use money for me to build my comforts, to make me feel better? And Christianity takes all that and spins it on its head because God says, no, I want you to live there. And I want you to care about the city. And I want you to, to live in the city. I want you to be a part of PTAs. And I want you to be a part of HOAs. And I want you to, to care about everything that's going on in the city. Why, God? Why? His glory would go forth. And as his glory goes forth and people see his goodness, what you find is the welfare for the city. You find all these things that we're so longing for but can't seem to find. You find peace. You find comfort. You find satisfaction. It's all found in him. So when God says, seek the welfare of the city... He, he attaches a promise to it. And he says, for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You see, the world says, look out for you. Live for you. And as you live for you, that's where you're actually going to find your prosperity and your welfare and your goodness. And God's like, no, 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 no. That's not where it's found. It's found in serving others and in serving the Lord. And this is revolutionary to how we view our city and our culture. How do you serve your city? How are you serving your city now? How are you serving your church? How are you serving your neighbors? 
How are you giving and living in such a way that people are like, that's different? Have you ever asked those questions? Have you ever searched your time and your thoughts? Say, God, how can I live and how can I give in such a way that you are glorified? This is what God calls us to do. But he doesn't just call us to live and to give, but he also calls us to pray. Do you see that in verse 7? He said, I've sent you to the city. I've placed you there. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. Pray for the Lord on its behalf. Now, I want you to think about the audacity of God to ask this of these people at this time. Just put yourself in their shoes at that time. The, the leaders that are there in Babylon still have blood on their hands for family members that they've murdered in war. They have. And God says, this nation that took you away from your home and took you away from your city, yes, that's who I want you to pray for. And that's who I want you to serve. And that's who I want you to care for. What? No, God, these are our enemies. I'm not going there, God. I'm not praying for them. I'll pray for us and our little tribe that God will flourish us. But I am not praying for them. I'm not going to live there. I'm not going to give to them. But God says, no, pray for them. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. That you would root for it. That you would want the city to do well. That you would want the nation to thrive. Because in its welfare, you find your welfare. We have to pray for our city. We have to be intentional with where God has placed us. Because God has placed you there specifically for a reason. Before we moved away uh, up to Raleigh, we lived in a neighborhood. And I'll never forget this. There was uh, neighbors. I was getting to know them and interacting with them. And, and one neighbor is talking to me. And he doesn't know much about my story or who I am yet. And uh, as we're talking about the neighborhood and things like that, he's, he's telling me about all the neighbors around. And he's like, Hey, but don't, don't even try to talk to these people at the house at the end of the street, like in the end of cul-de-sac. And I said, why? He's like, they're nothing but a bunch of Bible beaters. They come out of their house and they go to church and then they turn around and they go back home, but they, they don't care about me. They, might, they might, might care about their God, but they don't care about me. And I never, even, I never even talked to them. And I was just grieved in that moment. Like, my heart just broke. And I, and I said to him, I was like, man... I'm a follower of Jesus, and I just want you to know that, yes, I love God, but, man, I care for you, too. And how you live your life and where you are in your neighborhood says something to your neighbors around. Do you really love them, and do you really care for them? They're looking at your life, especially when they see you leave to come to church, and they're like, man, do they really live out what they believe? They say they love this God that loves people, but do they really love me? They're asking these questions. And church, I want to encourage you, specifically as a West Cabarrus family. Just a couple weeks ago, one of you texted me, and it was a long-term member here at the church, and I was so encouraged by this text. And my response, I couldn't put enough exclamation points. I think I had like six or seven, but I just kept putting them on there. Because this person texted me, and this is, this is basically what they said. He, he said, hey, would you please just continue um, to pray for me? Pray for my efforts as I reach out to my entire street in my neighborhood for the gospel. I have a couple here that I've been able to, to love and to serve. And we've been able to start meeting with them and, and walking through the Bible with them. And um, I'm, I'm going to be purchasing a Bible just to give them. And inviting them to take part in community here at West Cabarrus Church. 
And I read this text and I'm like, praise God, this is amazing that you would look at your street and say, I love these people because God loves these people. And I want to reach my neighborhood and I want to pray for them. And remember, we're not praying for them to sell them something. We're praying for them because we love them and God loves them. And we want them to see the glory of this God that brings peace and comfort and refuge and hope in the darkest moments. That gives forgiveness for any guilt or shame that we have. God gives us all of that through Jesus Christ. And so no, we're not trying to sell them something. We're trying to show them the love of Jesus. My favorite definition of evangelism and sharing the gospel is it's just one hungry beggar telling another hungry beggar where to find food. That's what we're called to do in our neighborhoods. And it's funny because we, we read this text message and, and, and we think about that and we're maybe even shocked or astounded like, oh man, that's for the super holy people. No, this is for everybody. If you are a Christian, this is what God has placed you in your neighborhood for, placed you in your school for, placed you in your work and your family for. He has placed you there to be a light and to love. And loving somebody doesn't mean that you're always telling them the gospel every single time you meet, like, hey, how's your day going? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. No, like sometimes you just love them. Walk with them through times of tears and you cry with them. You walk through them with times of death and pain. And you show them the hope that they can have through Jesus Christ. You love them. And this is the call for every single Christian. Every single Christian. And if this intimidates you, then I would just ask you, I'd plead with you that you would start by praying. That you would pray to the Lord on its behalf. That you pray for your neighborhood. That you pray for your families. That you pray for your city. I mean, even looking up people who lead our city. Our mayor and our police chief. Know their names and pray for them. God has called us to pray for our city, to live in our city, to give for our city. He's called us to do this. Every single Christian in this room and watching online, God has called you and me to do this. But God's desire is not just for our neighborhoods, not just for our city, and not just for our nation. It's much bigger than that. For us to say, well, God, I just care about my city or I just care about America is basically saying, God, I only care about 5% of what you care about. Because America is only about 5% of the population of the world. And for you to say, well, I only care about America and I only care about my neighborhood and that's it, that's all I want to love and care about, then you're saying, God, I only love and care about 5% of your heart. Church family, there are so many people that don't know the name of Jesus. There are about a, roughly 11,000 people groups in the world. And of those 11,000, 6,000 of them are unreached. And what I mean by unreached, because you might hear unreached and think, well, my neighborhood's unreached because this person doesn't believe, or my workplace is unreached because this person doesn't believe. No, 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 no. When we say unreached, that term means that there's not a church or a Christian for miles. In Yemen, there are only 30 Christians that we know of for a nation. 30. Do you realize that there's small groups in our church that are that big? And yet this nation 
only has 30 people who profess Christ. They can't go to different churches on a Sunday morning. They can't come out of their house and, and walk down to your house and hear the gospel. They can't. There's not even Bibles translated in many of these languages. So God's heartbeat is for the nations. And I want to show you that because that's the second thing we have to do. We have to make disciples in the nations for the glory of God. In the nations. And this word nations is found all throughout the Bible. Just a few weeks ago we looked at the Great Commission where Jesus looks at, uh, at us, his disciples, and he says, hey, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. That word nations is speaking of ethnic groups. He's saying not just a geopolitical nation, but every speech, every tongue, every race, everyone God cares about. And we sit here and we read, oh, that's great. That's in the book of Matthew and Jesus gave that command. Mm -mm. It's much, much bigger than that. This is something that God has done throughout all of Scripture. All of Scripture. And I want you to see a little bit of this this morning. I want to look through just patriarchs in our Christian faith. All the way back to Abraham. Abraham chapter 18, or Genesis chapter 18, God is speaking to Abraham. And you'll see this verse on the screen, but this is verses 17 and 18 of Genesis 18. God says to Abraham, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. And for extra credit, if you want to, you can read Genesis 12 and Genesis 22 where God reiterates that, that through your faith and through your family, Abraham, I'm going to bless the nations. And he did. He still is. There's, there's another big name in the Bible, King David, another patriarch. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, David is singing to the Lord. And he says, he's calling others to sing to him. He says, sing to the Lord all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory. Where? Among the nations. And his marvelous works among all people. David didn't just say, well, I'm the king and God only cares about my kingdom. No, he's like, God's kingdom is much, much bigger than my kingdom. And so we want to sing and proclaim God's glory in all the nations, among all the people. And after David comes Solomon. And King Solomon gets to build the temple. And as he builds the temple, he dedicates the temple. And this is what he says in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. He says, when a foreigner comes, one who is not of your people, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and outstretched arm. When he comes and he prays towards this house, this temple, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you. Why? In order that all the peoples of the earth may know and fear you. This right here in Chronicles is the very reason that Jesus gets so mad in the New Testament. If you know that story where Jesus comes in and he flips over the money table and he, get, he makes this whip, he's upset and he's mad. Why in that moment? Because in the temple at that time, even at this time when it was built, there's there's a place where Jewish men could go, and there's a place for Jewish women, and then there was this, this court of the nations, or court of the Gentiles that was outside that, where they could come and they could pray to God. And where do you think that the people came to do their business, to sell and exchange and to buy things? 
They had set up their, their mall in the court of the Gentiles. And Jesus shows up on the scene. He's mad and he's angry. Why? Because he cares about the nations. He cares about every race, every tongue, every language. He cares about them all. When he comes in there and sees that they're being pushed out, he gets angry. He gets mad. Because God's heartbeat is for the nations. Are you catching the point this morning? Are you seeing God's heartbeat from his word? It's not just the Great Commission. It's everywhere in there. Even in the prophets. Isaiah chapter 49, one of my favorite verses. God is speaking to Isaiah and he says, It's too small a thing. It's too little. It's too insignificant that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. God says, it's too small a thing that you just have your holy huddle. Too small. God's like, I am much bigger than that. He says, I will make you as a light for the nations. Why? That my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is God's heartbeat. This is God's desire. The book of Psalms is another one. Psalm 67. Turn there just real quick. Psalm 67 is another passage that all the Psalms seem to highlight it. But God's heartbeat for the nations. But Psalm 67 more than others. And it's interesting in here the way God talks about his blessing on us. But this is what it says in Psalm 67 verse 1. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Man, I love that part of that passage. I love it. I, I pray it often for our church. I pray it often over my kids at night when I put them to bed. I, I pray, God, would you be gracious to us and bless us and make your face to shine upon us. But here's the catch. God doesn't just bless you for your name's sake. Look at verse 2. Why does God bless us? Why does his face shine upon us? That your way may be known on the earth. That you're saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Why? Let all the ends of the earth fear him. I pray this blessing over our church, and I pray this blessing over my kids, but I always attach it to this. That as God blesses us, we would make his way known among the nations and all the earth. God has blessed us to be a blessing to others. He's blessed us. God has willed our wealth for the sake of his worship. He's willed our wealth for the sake of his worship. And church family, you're doing this, and I want to encourage you to continue to do this. Even last Christmas, just a couple months ago, I encouraged you to, to give to our missionaries, some who are in some very hard places, and, and our missionaries are going to come up here now. I want you to hear from them. You guys go ahead and make your way up here. I'm thankful that they're here. These are 
people from West Cabarrus Church. These are people that used to sit in maybe some of the exact same seats that you're sitting right now. And God called them to the nations. And their heartbeat was the same as God's as he saw these things coming through the pages of Scripture over and over again. And because you, church family, as you were blessed by God, were able to give and be a blessing to them, they wanted to express their gratitude to you this morning. And many of you that have been here for a while know these missionaries, but for those that are new or this is your first time here, I want to kind of introduce them just for a little bit and tell a little bit of their story. And then actually right after service, they'll be out in the lobby if you want to hear more of how to support them and to pray for them and to care. But the meat yards are the, the ones that just went out to the mission field. They made it uh, two weeks before the hurricanes hit Honduras, right? Two weeks. And uh, they, they thought they lost their car at sea. It was being shipped in, and thankfully God protected it as it was coming in. But God placed them there at the perfect time coming out of these, uh, these tragedies, these hurricanes coming through. And so God has allowed them to help in a number of ways by providing food, for, for, for people in need, um, and their heartbeat is really to work with adoption and care with Word of Life Ministries and to serve down there. And so you guys gave, and that money went to support them as they provided help and care for these, and it will continue to provide for them. It's something we didn't just do one time, but um, super grateful for what God is doing with the meat yards and with your family. And I know you're ready to get back down there. He actually wishes he wasn't here today, but I'm thankful God brought him up to say, to say thank you. And then we have Allison. Allison is serving in the Gambia. And it is the Gambia. It's the only, only nation that has it, that, right, the article beforehand. Yeah, and, uh, and I love her story because as God was leading her to the nations, she knew Spanish. She's going to speak a little Spanish for us here in a second. But she knew Spanish. She's like, so God has gonna pl- or he's going to place me where I'm comfortable and where it's convenient. And I can know the language and speak Spanish. And God says, nope, I'm not. I'm going to send you to Africa. <laughs> and she's been working with um, healthcare over there and sharing the gospel through their service to others. And Even as she's been back here, she's been able to share some of that with us and helping us through the coronavirus time and care. And and so we're we're extremely grateful for you and how you've been serving in Africa. And then the Harbinsons as well. Uh, Eric is actually down there right now in Nicaragua, but Harbinsons have been serving in some amazing ways to disciple and to care for people. And so last year we actually made a call that you would give financially to supply Bibles, some study Bibles for them to give out. And I talked to Eric, uh, and he said, they've already given them all out. They're all gone. They, they actually need more um, because you guys have just done a fantastic job of discipling and caring for people and doing what God's called us to do, live in the city and to care for the welfare of the city. And so um, we're grateful for you, all three of you and your families, but we know that you aren't the only missionaries that God has allowed us to partner with here at West Cabarrus Church. But I wanted you guys just to have a minute or two just to share your heartbeat of gratitude Um, to our church and how they've cared and supported you guys through prayer and giving. So just share for a moment. All right, so first and foremost, guys, thank you for your support, for your love. Um, Excuse me. The generosity and hospitality this church family has showed us throughout the years, through our adoption, through um, our missions, through um, everything we've been through, even through this little rough patch we're in now, I had to come home with one of my boys. Um, We were still shown the love of the body of Christ. And people reached out their houses, reached, opened up their homes to us. Um, people have, have helped us in every way possible, and we are grateful for that. And as a missionary in um, Honduras, we are very thankful for everything you guys have done for us. And uh, like Ryan said this morning, 
a little bit. We, uh, you know, as Christians or non-believers or um, no matter how you put it, we can't fathom the grace and mercy of God and the thankfulness that we should show to him. And how often do we not do that? But thank you for each and every one of you for your support and your love. Hola, buenos días. Me llamo Alison. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name's Allison. Uh, estaba sentado aquí hace siete años antes de ir a Gambia. I was seated here in these same seats for seven years before I went to the Gambia. Um, estaba feliz aquí sí, con, su, con mi familia uh, del West Caberas. Pero Dios quería que la gente de Gambia conoce Jesús. I was happy here in these seats with my family here at West Cabarrus, but God wanted the people of the Gambia to know Jesus. La gente de Gambia no saben nada de la Biblia, de Jesús, de, de, de cielo. The people of Gambia don't know anything about heaven and Jesus and the truth. No saben nada de la verdad. They don't know anything about the Bible. Dios quería, Dios me envió a la gente de Gambia. God sent me and he wanted me to go to the people of the Gambia. Estoy feliz hoy. Estoy, estoy feliz con, como, estoy con mi familia. I'm very happy today because I am here with my family. Pero también. Mi corazón está en la Gambia. But also, my heart is in the Gambia. Quiero agradecerle por sus oraciones, por sus regalos. I want to thank all of you for your gifts and for your prayers. Quiero agradecerle por sus oraciones del gente de Gambia, for the prayers for the people of the Gambia. Y por nuestro ministerio and for our ministry there. Gracias a Dios, gracias a mi familia de la iglesia Huescaveras. Thank you to God and thank you to my Huescaveras family. And what a privilege it is for all of us to, to serve with you, to partner with you. You're just a, a major part of ministry to the nations. Um, I want to speak specifically to the Mission House. Eric and I came in at the end of August for an unexpected extended stay, and we have the privilege of living in the bottom, if you look at it, the bottom left. Um, what a blessing. That is, uh, I've been telling them that is so much more than just a place to live. Our desire um, was when we lived there to just to develop a stronger connection with the church family, and we have been able to do that. And living there with other missionaries has been fun. Um, just the fellowship and the encouragement we are to each other. And who lives on a lake in a lake house on Bruton Smith Boulevard? I mean, we are a stone's throw away of anything we could possibly need, but when we drive home, my view is the lake. <laughs> So what a blessing that is. Um, and then for Eric and I personally, we were here for Thanksgiving for the first time 
since 2011, and we got to host our children there, um, and that to us is priceless. So you just need to know that that mission house really is so much more than a place to live. So thank you for that. Thank you, guys. You give me a hand. Some of y'all um, hear their story and even hear the sermon today, and you're like, ah, I get it. This is a mission sermon, and I'm not a missionary, and so this doesn't apply to me. Um, but that can be any further than the truth. If you know Jesus, every one of us in this room are a missionary. Whether you're across the seas or just across the street, God has called you to be a missionary. And here's the hope and joy and the boldness that we have behind this is that God's mission will succeed. Look at one more verse with me. Revelation chapter 7. This is where everything ends up. God's mission will succeed. And he's asking us to be a part of this. So Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice. What are they crying out? What are they praising? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church family, the mission that, that they're on is the same mission that God has called us to, and it will succeed. We know how everything ends up. God has told us that there will be someone from every one of those people groups praising and worshiping God for all of eternity. So church family, may we take that step of faith to follow him and take the gospel from the neighborhoods to the nations. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your heartbeat to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, we thank you for your word that says, just as God the Father has sent God the Son, the Son now looks at us and has sent us into the world. And if you're here today and you're hearing this and you're not a believer, you need to hear and know that Jesus came for you that he loves you. And if you would pray to him, even right now, and say, God, forgive me. Forgive me of my sins, and may I live for you. Know that you will be one of those people in Revelation 7 that sings to the Lamb, to the one who gave his life, and you can have that forgiveness and peace now that stretches into all of eternity. And Lord, I want to pray for us as Christians, those that know you. God, give us boldness to share this good news. God, give us opportunities as they're before us. Lord, give us wisdom on how to, to love and to care well for our neighbors and to, to give generously to the nations. God, give us wisdom in all these areas. Give us opportunities. Give us boldness that your truth would go forth to the glory of your name. Church family, we come to the time now where we take the Lord's Supper, remembering the missionary, Jesus, who came for you and I, the greatest missionary. He didn't call us to do anything he hadn't already done. He left his home. He left his gated community. He gave all that he had that salvation would come to us. 
And as we take this cup now, that's what we're remembering. We're remembering that God gave his life for us that we could receive forgiveness. So as we take this small piece of bread this morning, Jesus says that this is a picture, this is just a symbol of my life that I gave for you. And so if you are a Christian, I would invite you to take this. If you're not, go ahead and put that back in there, let this pass, because this is something God called us as Christians to do as a way to display what we believe, that Jesus came from heaven to earth and gave it all for us. If you believe that today, then take small juice and um, it's interesting this verse that I had up there Revelation 11 I was reading something similar to that uh, to my kids not long ago and they're like God uh, they said dad why did God choose the words lamb in there like why not something more powerful like a bear or something more majestic like an eagle or something that's powerful and majestic like a lion like God uses that in the Bible why did God say a lamb in Revelation it's because a lamb was a picture of a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, a lamb was slain to atone for sins. To atone for sins. But Jesus came to remove sins. And so this morning, if you've believed in Christ, take this, believing he has removed all of your sins as far as east is from the west. Take and believe. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, for your love, for your life for your blood that you gave for us. God, we live on mission because you have sent us on mission. To the glory of your great name, we pray. Amen. Church family, let's stand and sing.